Book One, Sections Twenty Three to Twenty Eight of Against Apion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. Against Apion by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Wisdom. Book One, Sections Twenty Three to Twenty Eight. Now that some writers have omitted to mention our nation, not because they knew nothing of us, but because they envied us, or for some other unjustifiable reasons, I think I can demonstrate by particular instances. For Hieronymus, who wrote the history of Alexander's successors, lived at the same time with Hecateus, and was a friend of King Antigonus, and president of Syria. Now it is plain that Hecateus wrote an entire book concerning us, while Hieronymus never mentions us in his history, although he was bred up very near to the places where we live. Thus different from one another are the inclinations of men. While the one thought we deserved to be carefully remembered, as some ill-disposed passion blinded the other's mind so entirely that he could not discern the truth. And now certainly the foregoing records of the Egyptians and Chaldeans and Phoenicians together with so many of the Greek writers, will be sufficient for the demonstration of our antiquity. Moreover, besides those forementioned, Theophilus, and Theodotus, and Mnasius, and Aristophanes, and Hermogenes, Euhemerus also, and Conon, and Zopirium, and perhaps many others, for I have not lighted upon all the Greek books, have made distinct mention of us. It is true, many of the men before mentioned have made great mistakes about the true accounts of our nation in the earliest times, because they had not perused our sacred books. Yet have they all of them afforded their testimony to our antiquity, concerning which I am now treating. However, Demetrius Valerius and the elder Philo with Eupolemus have not greatly missed the truth about our affairs, whose lesser mistakes ought therefore to be forgiven them for it was not in their power to understand our writings with the utmost accuracy. One particular there is still remaining behind of what I at first proposed to speak to, and that is, to demonstrate that those calumnies and reproaches which some have thrown upon our nation are lies, and to make use of those writers' own testimonies against themselves, and that in general this self-contradiction hath happened to many other authors by reason of their ill-will to some people. I conclude, is not unknown to such as have read histories with sufficient care, for some of them have endeavoured to disgrace the nobility of certain nations, and of some of the most glorious cities, and have cast reproaches upon certain forms of government. Thus hath Theopompus abused the city of Athens, Polycrates that of Lacedaemon, as hath he that wrote the Tripolyticus, for he is not Theopompus, as is supposed by some done by the city of Thebes. Timaeus also has greatly abused the foregoing people and others also, and this ill-treatment they use chiefly when they have a contest with men of the greatest reputation, some out of envy and malice, and others as supposing that by this foolish talking of theirs they may be thought worthy of being remembered themselves. And indeed they do by no means fail of their hopes, with regard to the foolish part of mankind, but men of sober judgment still condemn them of great malignity. Now the Egyptians were the first that cast reproaches upon us, in order to please which nation, 
some others undertook to pervert the truth, while they that would neither own that our forefathers came into Egypt from another country, as the fact was, nor give a true account of our departure thence. And indeed the Egyptians took many occasions to hate us and envy us, in the first place, because our ancestors had had the dominion over their country, and when they were delivered from them, and gone to their own country again, they lived there in prosperity. In the next place, the difference of our religion from theirs hath occasioned great enmity between us, while our way of divine worship did as much exceed that which their laws appointed, as does the nature of God exceed that of brute beasts. For so far they all agree through the whole country, to esteem such animals as gods, although they differ one from another in the peculiar worship they severally pay to them. And certainly, men they are entirely of vain and foolish minds, who have thus accustomed themselves from the beginning to have such bad notions concerning their gods, and could not think of imitating that decent form of divine worship which we made use of, though, when they saw our institutions approved of by many others, they could not but envy us on that account. For some of them have proceeded to that degree of folly and meanness in their conduct, as not to scruple to contradict their own ancient records, nay, to contradict themselves also in their writings, and yet were so blinded by their passions as not to discern it. And now I will turn my discourse to one of their principal writers, whom I have a little before made use of as a witness to our antiquity. I mean Manetho. He promised to interpret the Egyptian history out of their sacred writings, and premised this, that our people had come into Egypt, many ten thousands in number, and subdued its inhabitants. And when he had further confessed that we went out of that country afterwards, and settled in that country which is now called Judea, and there built Jerusalem and its temple. Now thus far he followed his ancient records, but after this he permits himself, in order to appear to have written what rumours and reports passed abroad about the Jews, and introduces incredible narrations, as if he would have the Egyptian multitude, that had the leprosy and other distempers, to have been mixed with us, as he says they were, and that they were condemned to fly out of Egypt together. For he mentions Amenophis, a fictitious king's name, though on that account he durst not settle down the number of years of his reign, which yet he had accurately done as to the other kings he mentions. He then ascribes certain fabulous stories to this king, as having in a manner forgotten how he had already related that the departure of the shepherds for Jerusalem had been five hundred and eighteen years before, for Tesmosis was king when they went away. Now, from his days, the reigns of the intermediate kings, according to Manithi, amounted to three hundred and ninety-three years, as he says himself, till the two brothers, Sethos and Hermaeus, the one of whom, Sethos, was called by that other name of Egyptus, and the other, Hermaeus, by that of Danaeus. He also said that Sethos cast the other out of Egypt, and reigned fifty-nine years, as did his eldest son Ramses reign after him sixty-six years. When Manethe therefore had acknowledged that our forefathers were gone out of Egypt so many years ago, he introduces his fictitious king Amenophis and says thus, this king was a desirous to become a spectator of the gods, as had Oas, one of his predecessors in that kingdom, desired the same before him. 
he also communicated that his desire to his namesake Amenophis, who was the son of Papis, and one that seemed to partake of a divine nature, both as to wisdom and the knowledge of futurities. Menethe adds, How this namesake of his told him that he might see the gods, if he would clear the whole country of the lepers and of the other impure people. That the king was pleased with this injunction, and got together all that had any defect in their bodies out of Egypt, and that their number was eighty thousand, whom he sent to those quarries which are on the east side of the Nile, that they might work in them, and might be separated from the rest of the Egyptians. He says further that there were some of the learned priests that were polluted with the leprosy, but that still this Amenophis, the wise man and the prophet, was afraid that the gods would be angry at him and at the king, if there should appear to have been violence offered them, who also added this further, out of his sagacity about futurities, that certain people would come to the assistance of these polluted wretches, and would conquer Egypt, and keep it in their possession thirteen years. That, however, he does not tell the king of these things, but that he left a writing behind him about all those matters, and then slew himself, which made the king disconsolate. After which he writes thus verbatim, after those that were sent to work in the quarries had continued in that miserable state for a long while, the king was desired that he would set apart the city of Varis, which was then left desolate of the shepherds, for their habitation and protection, which desire he granted them. Now this city, according to the ancient theology, was Typho's city. But when these men were gotten into it, and found the place fit for a revolt, they appointed themselves a ruler out of the priests of Heliopolis, whose name was Osasif, and they took their oaths that they would be obedient to him in all things. He then in the first place made this law for them, that they should neither worship the Egyptian gods, nor should abstain from any one of those sacred animals which they have in the highest esteem, but kill and destroy them all, that they should join themselves to nobody but to those that were of this confederacy. When he had made many such laws as these, and many more such as were mainly opposite to the customs of the Egyptians, he gave order that they should use the multitude of the hands they had in building walls about their city, and make themselves ready for a war with King Amenophis, while he did himself take into his friendship the other priests, and those that were polluted with them, and sent ambassadors to those shepherds who had been driven out of the land by Tephilmosis to the city called Jerusalem, whereby he informed them of his own affairs, and of the state of those others that had been treated after such an ignominious manner, and desired that they would come with one consent to his assistance in this war against Egypt. He also promised that he would, in the first place, bring them back to their ancient city and country Avaris, and provide a plentiful maintenance for their multitude, that he would protect them and fight for them as occasion should require, and would easily reduce the country under their dominion. These shepherds were all very glad of this message, and came away with alacrity altogether, being in number two hundred thousand men, and in a little time they came to Avaris. And now Amenophis, the king of Egypt, upon his being informed of their invasion, was in great confusion, as calling to mind what Amenophis, the son of Papis, had foretold him. And in the first place he assembled the multitude of the Egyptians, and took counsel with their leaders, and sent for their sacred animals to him, 
especially for those that were principally worshipped in their temples, and gave a particular charge to the priests distinctly, that they should hide the images of their gods with the utmost care. He also sent his son Sethos, who was also named Ramesses, from his father Ramses, being but five years old, to a friend of his. He then passed on with the rest of the Egyptians, being three hundred thousand of the most warlike of them, against the enemy, who met them. Yet he did not join in battle with them, but thinking that would be to fight against the gods, he returned back and came to Memphis, where he took Apis and the other sacred animals which he had sent for to him, and presently marched into Ethiopia, together with his whole army and multitude of Egyptians. For the king of Ethiopia was under an obligation to him, on which account he received him, and took care of all the multitude that was with him, while the country supplied all that was necessary for the food of the men. He also allotted cities and villages for this exile, that was to be from its beginning during those fatally determined thirteen years. Moreover he pitched a camp for his Ethiopian army, as a guard to King Amenophis upon the borders of Egypt. And this was the state of things in Ethiopia, but for the people of Jerusalem, when they came down together with the polluted Egyptians, they treated the men in such a barbarous manner, that those who saw how they subdued the forementioned country, and the horrid wickedness they were guilty of, thought it a most dreadful thing. For they did not only set the cities and villages on fire, but were not satisfied till they had been guilty of sacrilege, and destroyed the images of the gods, and used them in roasting those sacred animals that used to be worshipped, and forced the priests and prophets to be the executioners and murderers of those animals, and then ejected them naked out of their country. It was also reported that the priest, who ordained their polity and their laws, was by birth of Helopolis, and his name was Osasif from Osiris, who was the god of Helopolis. But that, when he was gone over to these people, his name was changed, and he was called Moses. This is what the Egyptians relate about the Jews, with much more which I omit for the sake of brevity. But still Maniso goes on, that, after this, Amenophis returned back from Ethiopia with a great army, as did his son Ahamses with another army also, and that both of them joined battle with the shepherds and the polluted people, and beat them, and slew a great many of them, and pursued them to the bounds of Syria. These and the like accounts are written by Manetho, but I will demonstrate that he trifles and tells arrant lies, after I have made a distinction which will relate to what I am going to say about him. For this Manetho had granted and confessed that this nation was not originally Egyptian, but that they had come from another country, and subdued Egypt, and then went away again out of it. But that those Egyptians who were thus diseased in their bodies were not mingled with us afterward, and that Moses who brought the people out was not one of that company, but lived many generations earlier, I shall endeavour to demonstrate from Manetho's own accounts themselves. Now for the first occasion of this fiction, Manetho supposes what is no better than a ridiculous thing, for he says that King Amenophis desired to see the gods. What gods, I pray, did he desire to see? If he meant the gods whom their laws ordained to be worshipped, the ox, the goat, the crocodile, and the baboon, he saw them already. But for the heavenly gods, how could he see them? And what should occasion this his desire? To be sure, it was because another king before him had already seen them. He had then been informed what sort of gods they were, 
and after what manner they had been seen, insomuch that he did not stand in need of any new artifice for obtaining this sight. However, the prophet by whose means the king thought to compass his design was a wise man. If so, how came he not to know that such his desire was impossible to be accomplished, for the event did not succeed? And what pretense could there be to suppose that the gods would not be seen by reason of the people's maims in their bodies, or leprosy? For the gods are not angry at the imperfection of bodies, but at wicked practices. And as to eighty thousand lepers, and those in an ill state also, how is it possible to have them gathered together in one day? Nay, how came the king not to comply with the prophet? For his injunction was, that those that were maimed should be expelled out of Egypt, while the king only sent them to work in the quarries, as if he were rather in want of labourers than intended to purge his country. He says further that, This prophet slew himself, as foreseeing the anger of the gods, and those events which were to come upon Egypt afterward, and that he left this prediction for the king in writing. Besides, how came it to pass that this prophet did not foreknow his own death at the first? Nay, how came he not to contradict the king in his desire to see the gods immediately? How came that unreasonable dread upon him of judgments that were not to happen in his lifetime? Or what worse thing could he suffer, out of the fear of which he made the haste to kill himself? But now let us see the silliest thing of all. The king, although he had been informed of these things, and terrified with the fear of what was to come, yet did not he even then object these maimed people out of his country, when it had been foretold him that he was to clear Egypt of them? But as Manetho says, he then, upon their request, gave them that city to inhabit, which had formerly belonged to the shepherds, and was called Avaris, whither when they were gone in crowds. He says, They chose one that had formerly been priest of Helopolis, and that this priest first ordained that they should neither worship the gods, nor abstain from those animals that were worshipped by the Egyptians, but should kill and eat them all, and should associate with nobody but those that had conspired with them, and that he bound the multitude by oaths to be sure to continue in those laws, and that when he had built a wall about Avaris, he made war against the king. Manetho adds also that this priest sent to Jerusalem to invite that people to come to his assistance, and promised to give them Avaris, for that it had belonged to the forefathers of those that were coming from Jerusalem, and that when they were come, they made a war immediately against the king and got possession of all Egypt. He says also that the Egyptians came with an army of two hundred thousand men, and that Amenophis, the king of Egypt, not thinking that he ought to fight against the gods, ran away presently into Ethiopia, and committed Apis and certain others of their sacred animals to the priests, and commanded them to take care of preserving them. He says further that, the people of Jerusalem came accordingly upon the Egyptians, and overthrew their cities, and burnt their temples, and slew their horsemen, and in short abstained from no sort of wickedness nor barbarity. And for that priest who settled their polity and their laws, he says, he was by birth of Helopolis, and his name was Osasif, from Osiris the god of Helopolis, but that he changed his name and called himself Moses. He then says that on the thirteenth year afterwards, Amenophis, according to the fatal time of the duration of his misfortunes, came upon them out of Ethiopia with a great army, and joining battle with the shepherds and with the polluted people, overcame them in battle, and slew a great many of them, and pursued them as far as the bounds of Syria. End of sections 23 to 28